Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. Last week we launched our series on the Feast of Israel. We gave a very broad overview of all the feasts, including Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Shavuot or Pentecost, Trumpets, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. Today we kick off our deep dive by examining the feast that originally marked the beginning of the Jewish year. The Feast of Passover was the first feast ordained by God for His chosen people. It points back to their bondage in Egypt and to His great deliverance through His servant Moses. Exodus 11 and 12 described the horrific final plague that had struck the Egyptians and God's provision for preserving His people as the firstborn throughout the land were killed by the Lord. In Exodus 13:10, the Lord commanded, You shall keep this ordinance at its appointed time from year to year. So Jews have done just that down through the many centuries. The prophetic significance of Passover is so obvious that even the spiritually undiscerning see its implications to Christian faith. But aside from a vision of the scene offered by Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments, many Christians are still unaware of the significance and beauty of the feast and how it offers insight to those with eyes to see. In order to peel back some of the mystery and expound on, again, the beauty of this feast, we're joined by Dr. Richard Hill, a recognized expert in all things Jewishness, uh, because of your Jewish roots, Richard, and the fact that you are a Messianic pastor of a congregation Beth Yeshua, right in Las Vegas. So welcome once again to Christ in Prophecy. Thank you for having me once again. And I'm just excited to be here to be able to teach about Pesach. That is the, the Hebrew. Hebrew name for Passover. All right, so we should use some more Hebrew today. But I want to, to dive into this with the understanding that the average American Christian envisions Charlton Heston when they think of Moses and Yul Brenner when they think of Pharaoh. And so those movie scenes play over and over in their minds when it comes to Passover. Tell us how accurate those portrayals are and really what the, the true basis of Passover is in Scripture. Well, I love that movie. It's a great movie, isn't it? I see it every year. Charlton Heston is great. Yes, he is. And so is uh, Joel Brenner as well, right? So, but uh, yeah, is it completely scriptural? Is any movie completely scriptural? So no. It's better to go to the Scriptures. Let's, Let's go. Let's do that. Exodus chapter 12. We're going to look at the first 14 verses. And this is the Lord speaking to Moses and Aaron as they are in the land of Egypt. So verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. So obviously it wasn't prior to this time. Right. right? They were following a different calendar. Now they were following the Egyptian calendar. Now, they're, now God has decided to begin a new calendar. So he did establish this as the new year. This is the new year for okay. the Jewish people. Yes, verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the 10th of this month, right? 10th of Nisan. This is the month of Nisan. On the 10th of the month, they are to each one take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now what's interesting is the Hebrew word here is set, and it means kid. So, it can be a lamb, it could be a sheep, it could be, well, those are the same, and it could be a 
A goat. A goat. You read ahead, didn't you? I read ahead. Yes, sir. (laughs) Verse 4. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. So each household had a lamb. And if you didn't have enough people, well, then guess what you had to do? You had to invite your neighbor or a household close by and say, okay, you guys come over to our house Mm -hmm. and we'll have this lamb together or this this goat together. And it's kind of interesting that the rabbis have determined now that every lamb that is slain, you're supposed to have at least 10 to 20 people. Wow. 10 to 20 people, yeah, that eat that lamb. So that's a lot of people. Yeah, and this is only a one-year-old lamb, as we're going to see right here in verse 5. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take of it from the sheep or from the goats. From the goats. Can you imagine? I mean, what Jewish people eat goat for Passover. <laughs> Not very None often of anymore. None yeah. of us. Yeah, we always have lamb, or, well, we always used to have lamb, I should say that now. We don't do that anymore. Hmm. 70 AD, the temple was destroyed, so the rabbis determined from that time on, you are not allowed to have a lamb because you can't sacrifice it in the temple. Oh, okay. So what do you substitute? Well, you can have anything. Brisket, chicken, turkey, different parts of the country or and the world eat different things. Verse 6, and you shall keep it uh, until the 14th day of the same month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. So now you have this land, this little poor little land that you know father knows and the mother knows we're going to be killing that lamb in four days. But what about the children? What's yeah. going on in there? Uh, yeah, they're their becoming uh, attached to that, that little lamb. Exactly. Isn't that the point, though? I think so. Come attached to the Passover lamb and knowing that that little lamb is going to be dying for your redemption. Mm. So, yes, I think the Lord wanted them to become attached to understand what this death really is going to mean for that household. Yeah. Verse 7, moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And so after you, obviously, you slit the lamb right on the jugular vein so that lamb dies instantly. No suffering then. There's no suffering whatsoever. And that's, that's a kosher thing within Judaism. You're not allowed to, to have the animal suffer. Uh, and so they take, the, take the, uh, a bowl and then collect the, uh, the blood. And so what do you do with the blood? Well, you paint it on the doorpost, the lintel, upper middle portion, the side, and then the right side. And so what sign is that? Oh. If you just paint a little bit up here and a little bit on the side and a little bit on this side, it's a sign of the cross. Now, that's what I teach for the Christians, but what do you teach for the Jewish people? Mm. Now, can you imagine being a Jewish person at that time? And God said, I want you to paint the blood on the door, put it on the doorpost. Well, now, you know, I'm part Jewish. I'm thinking, I'm going to paint my whole house. <laughs> I don't want that angel of death to, to not see my blood, you know, see the blood that's on my household. And so you go across the whole lintel. You go down the whole side and all down that side. And that's what I'm wearing. This is a chai. And the first letter there is a chet. And so when you're painting that blood, it's a chet. And of course, the, the letter chet is for the word chai. Chai means to life. To life. Like lachayim. Lachayim. To life. And so it means life. And obviously, you put the blood on your doorpost of your house, then you're going to have life. You're not going to have death. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that's why I'm wearing this outside right now. Very good. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Verse 8. 
They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And so everything needs to be roasted by fire. There's no boiling in water, anything like that. And here's where unleavened bread comes in. So when we teach on this feast, we're going to find out that they're intersected. When Passover is the whole day, and then you eat the Passover meal at night. Well, that first night is then the first night of the Feast of Unleavened, unleavened Bread. bread. Mm. And God says, eat unleavened bread, but also what? Bitter herbs. And so Rabbi Gam Gamaliel, you know that name? Yes, we do. In the New Testament, that's, right. that's Paul's rabbi. Well, he's the one that came out, said during from that time, that every Jewish person needs to talk about <laughs> at least three things during Passover. Guess what they are? The Passover lamb, the unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs. Mm. Verse 9, do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, which we explained, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left over, right, whatever's left of it until morning, you shall burn it with fire. So there's nothing left. Destroyed, it's a done deal. And the fact that he wanted more people to eat of this lamb, he didn't want a lot of waste. And so really, uh, God being a great steward of his own creation, just wanted to make sure that uh, it was sufficient and his, just as his grace is sufficient. It is sufficient. There you go. I like that, yes. Verse 11, you shall eat it in this manner with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So they were to eat in haste and get ready to leave as quick as possible even afterward. Now we know they didn't leave right away, but God wanted them just to be ready to go and be out of there. And that's a good thing, right? Now, we do not celebrate Passover that way anymore. Yeah, I was wondering about that. You're not killing lambs and putting blood on your doorposts and stuff like that. Nor are we girding our robes into our, into our waistbands. No, instead we have pillows, nice soft, cushy pillows that remind us of our slavery. So actually, the, the proper way to eat it is reclined. Is that correct? At a table. And we still do that. Yeah, we still, still do so that. So you almost picture Jesus, you know, in uh, the painting, the famous uh, painting by uh, da Vinci is him sitting at a table, but really they would have been reclined modeling this freedom. We don't have to work. We don't have to stand. We now are free. We can mm -hmm. recline. And he would have had a smaller table and they would have pillows on the ground. And which is why the, the disciple he loved was leaning almost on him. They were, they were mm -hmm. close in together. This right. was a very... Uh, family-oriented, community-oriented, and with these close friends, just enjoying this meal together. And the bread wasn't this high. No. It was very thin, unleavened bread. Yes. Well, leaven being, that's the yeast that makes it rise. So they didn't put yeast in it because they had to make bread and get out of there. I mean, out of Egypt as fast as possible. Exactly. And so you see that right in verse 11, where it says that they're going to eat it in haste and said, and also the unleavened bread, they had to leave in haste, and so they weren't able, they didn't have the time to put the leaven in their bread. Later on, they cooked it, of course, uh, that night. They cooked it for their meals. Mm. And verse 12, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments, I am the Lord. So I love this verse right here, guys, when they're talking about Passover, because... Well, first of all, we see the striking down of the firstborn. That's, I don't love that. I mean, of course, you don't want death, but that was, that was the punishment that came upon the Egyptians and the Pharaoh, of course. Mm. But then it's against all their gods. Mm. All those judgments were against their gods. It undermined each one of them, right? 
undermine the top 10 because yeah. Egypt had lots of gods as well. But these are, I guess, the top 10 that God took care of mm -hmm. and showed that he is God of all their gods. He's the one and only God. Uh, that's, if there's any quote in the Ten Commandments I love most, it's when Yul Brenner says at the end, he says, their God is God. And he comes to realize, and you have to think yeah. that Pharaoh finally understood the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Hebrew God, is God because he had defeated all the Egyptian gods. He defeated them all. So that's, that's theologically correct in uh, Mr. DeMille's movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the issue is that God needs to be honored. God needs to be worshipped. And it's the same in the Ezekiel aspects as well, in the Ezekiel War. God says, I'm doing all these things so that I will be God for all. Mm. Verse 11, uh, 13. <clears throat> and the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's where we get the Pesach. That's the Hebrew, passing over you. And no plague will, be, uh, will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. So Jewish people are to continue even to this day and to the future to celebrate Passover and to remember what God did, a miraculous uh, deliverance of His Jewish people out of the land of sin, out of the land of Egypt, and bringing them into the land of Israel. I mean... You think about it, it's been, what, 3,400 years since the Exodus? And yet, here we have it still being done today. I mean, what ceremony is still being, or what celebration is still being celebrated after a millennia? And the Jewish people still celebrate it. I know uh, no other. But there is a later prophet who will say that there's a coming deliverance that is even greater than God's deliverance from bondage in Egypt. Mm. As a matter of fact, this this... Ceremony, this uh, feast that's been commemorated, as you said, for thousands of years and is so culturally central to Jewish identity will be surpassed by a latter-day deliverance when He brings the Jewish people back into their own land. And we virtually have witnessed that, gentlemen, within our lifetimes, and yet people, uh, you know, they don't really consider it as being the, the great miracle it is of a modern fulfillment mm. that is even greater than that exodus. Yeah, Israel going back into the land and becoming a nation again, and the Messiah returning will be remembered more than their deliverance from it, the Exodus. That, that's just mind-boggling. There's two worldwide regatherings as well. Yes. The one we're going through right now, and then the one that'll be at the end of the tribulation. Hosea says one in unbelief, and then one in belief. Exactly. I think it's fascinating that, that God, it's not just an accident, that he, he said, take this animal. And of course, He loves His old creation. It was all declared good at one point, but the same kind of animal that He provided even as Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. And just at the last instant, God said, stay your hand. And then there was a ram caught up in the bush. So, you know, a sheep, a goat, but He was providing an animal foreshadowing the sacrifice that He would provide for the Jewish people. So they commemorate every year, at least as long as there was a temple, uh, by killing a lamb, but there was a, a greater lamb coming. So we go all the way to John chapter 1, verse 29. When John the Baptist, uh, seeing Jesus comes, coming toward him, says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, it comes full circle again to point to Jesus Christ. Why did he call him the, the, Lamb, or the Lamb of God? Yeah, Because Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover. Mm. He is the Passover Lamb, the one and only who would take the sin of the world upon himself. Well, Richard, I've attended a few Messianic Passover seders and some hosted by Jews for Jesus where they show that the Old Testament Passover ceremony and all the other ceremonies 
how they have messianic implications. And you just said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So are we to say then that this was meant to be for the Jewish people to see Jesus Christ die on the cross and then make that connection? And then the question is, why, why haven't they made that connection? Only a remnant like you yourself have. Well, yes, um, that is the connection. Obviously, Jesus, they need to see Jesus as the Messiah who would be the Passover lamb, the one that is going to die for the sin of the world. They have a really diff difficult time understanding that a human being is dying for sin. That is very difficult for them to understand. Now, we don't classify Jesus as only human. Of course, we consider him as God as well, 100% God, 100% man. That's what they don't understand. That's interesting. And we have to be able to try and reach them with that message, though. Why haven't they made the connection? There, there's a veil, and it's uh, the Lord has allowed it to be over their eyes because I think there's a greater glory coming. I think like any of us, we sometimes wonder, why am I suffering this way? Why have certain circumstances? But all things are to bring God greater glory. It's not just about us. So why was the man born blind? Jesus said it's not because his parents sinned. It's not because he sinned. It's because God will gain glory through his sight being restored. Yeah, so I think glorified. the answer to that question is because in the end, God will be glorified even greater when he fulfills his promises to the Jewish people. And it really is all about But it. also, uh, it's got to do with persecution under the name of Jesus. And okay. that's really the issue of the last 2,000 years. Jewish people have been persecuted mm -hmm. under that name. Hitler claimed to be a Christian. Mm. And he came out and killed 6 million Jewish people. So yeah, he liked Luther, right? And mm. other, other leaders... Meshuggah leaders, I like to call them, crazy <laughs> leaders. They came out and killed Jews under the name of Jesus. And so that is the big problem that a lot of Jewish people have. But I was talking theologically where they don't understand 100%. Well, yeah, because you God. read in the book of Malachi, for instance, and it's all about how the Jewish people were bringing blind and lame and blemished, and they even stole their sacrifices. They didn't understand why they had to sacrifice, why the lamb had to be white and why it had to be unblemished and why it had to be of a certain age and why its bones couldn't be broken. And it's strange that for a celebration that's been practiced for, say, 34 or 3,500 years, that the elements in it seem to have been lost to many people. Or they get caught up in the elements alone without realizing that they point to something greater. These are just the shadow of something greater to come. So we've talked in a past episode about the Seder meal, and, and we don't have time, but every element has meaning. The bitter herbs, uh, the, the bowl of even salt water, everything points symbolically backward and yet forward to a fulfillment in Jesus' day and age. I'd like to take us for just a minute, though, to the last Passover meal that Jesus uh, shared with His disciples. And so in Luke chapter 22, mm -hmm. uh, He says in verse 15, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover, the one they're about to partake in right before His crucifixion, with you before I suffer. And then He said, For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So there's a, a coming fulfillment. Yes, Passover pointed to Jesus Christ, but there's an even greater fulfillment that He says in the fullness of time, the, the entire feast will be fulfilled. We're going to be celebrating all the feasts in the Messianic kingdom as well. There you go. Well, as a, as a gentle, I'd be saying, hey, wait a minute, that's the Last Supper. What does this have to do with the Passover? But you're saying that the Last Supper and the Passover were one in the same event at the time? Certainly were. That's what it says right there in verse 15. And the mm -hmm. other thing, we as Gentiles, you know, we 
have taken part of what Jesus uh, established there at that Last Supper when He took the bread and He took the cup, mm -hmm. the wine, and He shared it with His disciples. And He said, now take this. Uh, it's a new covenant in My blood. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm quoting right there again from Luke 22. But Paul tells us that even our commemoration of that new covenant in the act of communion, whether uh, in a Christian church we share bread and wine, Paul says that we should do that as often as we eat that bread and take of that cup, proclaiming the death of the Lord, the Lord's death, until He comes. Oh, so there's a forward-looking aspect even, even of this commemoration of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that He ordained there at that Last Supper. At this communion, uh, Jesus is pulling the elements right out of the Passover Seder. He's pulling the matzah that is eaten after supper, and then He's drinking the third cup of redemption at that moment. And Jewish people get that they are anticipating something else, because don't they leave one seat empty at a Seder table? Mm -hmm. For who? For Elijah. For Elijah. Why? What's Elijah's role prophetically? Elijah is going to proclaim to the world that Messiah is coming. And so <laughs> the Jewish people at their feasts, they all want Elijah to come to their feast, because that'll be a special time, right? So they have an extra chair, empty chair, and then Elijah is going to proclaim. So if he comes to their household, well, then they're excited, and he's going to go proclaim it at their house first. And then, of course, he'll tell the world that Messiah is coming. So, Richard, I think uh, your insights have been tremendously helpful to begin to allow us to understand even the Jewish flavor of Passover and how central it is to pointing to Jesus Christ. I would assert that even as the Jews would anticipate perhaps Elijah coming to their table, that misses the bigger point because Elijah is just the precursor. He's the messenger announcing the Messiah. So don't get excited about the messenger. Get excited about the Messiah. Messiah. Exactly. And so that's what we get excited about. That's why I enjoy commemorating the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection until He comes. And so, folks, if you have not already put your trust in Jesus Christ to where you're also looking forward to Him coming, we hope that this episode and all of our series on the priest, or excuse me, the Feast of Israel will whet your appetite and make you want to dive into God's Word and study Bible prophecy. Obviously, Dr. Hill has a tremendous book referring to Israel in prophecy. It takes a, an approach from a chronological perspective, and we hope you'll get a copy of that. We're also offering today Dr. Reagan's God's Plan for the Ages as our resource that we'd love to give a copy or send a copy to you. So for a gift of only $20, including shipping, you can get this tremendous resource to understand all of God's prophetic Word and how it fits together into what we anticipate in the end times. Just call the number on the screen or visit our website, as you'll see down below as well. We hope this series has already been a blessing to you. If you would like more information about the varieties of Bible prophecy, plus detailed information about every aspect of God's prophetic word, you need to get a copy of Dr. Reagan's book, God's Plan for the Ages. This book was first published in 2005, and Jack Van Impey wrote a glowing review of it. He said, God's Plan for the Ages offers a sweeping panoramic view of prophetic events, unlike anything I've ever studied, even after having read more than 11,000 books. The book covers every aspect of Bible prophecy, including major issues. The book runs 381 pages and can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. 
And with each copy ordered, we will supply you with a copy of Colonel Tim Moore's 48-page booklet titled, Looking Forward to the Reign of Jesus Christ. This booklet explains why Tim has a premillennial view of end-time prophecy and why it matters. Just ask for offer number 152. You can place your order through our website at lamblion.com or by calling the number you see on the screen. Again, you can place your order through our website or by calling the number you see on the screen. Just ask for offer number 152. You can be assured that these materials will be a great blessing to you in understanding God's prophetic word. This has been a wonderful discussion about the significance and prophetic meaning of the Feast of Passover. We want to share the testimony of a dear friend of this ministry about what Passover means to him. Shalom friends, my name is Muttle Balliston and both my parents were born into traditional Jewish homes in New York City. I came to faith in Messiah Jesus as a young adult as a result of reading the Messianic prophecies in my own Jewish Bible. It was clear to me that Jesus was the Messiah. I serve in full-time ministry uh, sharing the good news of the arrival of Messiah with my own Jewish people. One of the uh, most important holidays to me in the Jewish calendar that God gave is the holiday of Passover. Uh, as a young person, I would often go to Passover seders, and one of the things that they would use there is this matzah tosh, this, this matzah holder. And it would hold the three sheets of matzah, the unleavened bread that is described in the book of Exodus. And as I learned more about the story of Passover, even as a young person, I wondered so much about some of the similarities to some of the things I had heard uh, Christians say. Only later did I find out that the matzah not only is unleavened, but there are many other characteristics which link this to the eventual greater Passover lamb that God would send to our own Jewish people. All of these truths come together. None of them exclude one another. Judaism gave birth to Christianity. It looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. The two need not be in conflict, and if properly understood, it is clear to a growing number of us who are Jewish believers in Yeshua, in Jesus as the Messiah, that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah that God sent to our Jewish people. This is something that uh, our friends at Lamb and Lion Ministries have been saying for so many years. I look forward to many other times when we'll be able to collaborate and talk about the importance of the Jewish calendar of Leviticus 23, a calendar which, although God gave to the people of Israel, it has importance to, to all believers because it talks about the way in which God would bring a Savior to the Jewish people and ultimately to all of the world. Of course, we know that that Savior, that Messiah, as in his Hebrew name, as Yeshua or Jesus of Nazareth. So I look forward to these times of collaboration. And here, starting with Passover, the holiday that talks about the fact that our Jewish people were once in bondage. The, the Haggadah, the Hebrew Haggadah, the, the liturgy booklet says, Abadim hayinu We were slaves unto Pharaoh in Egypt, is a translation. But with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand, God redeemed us from the house of bondage. All of us 
were in bondage to the cycle of sin and death. And through the sacrifice of the greater Passover lamb, we can be released from that. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says that Messiah, that Christ is our greater Passover lamb. I'm so grateful for Muddle and his powerful ministry. His testimony has led Jews and Gentiles to accept our Jewish Messiah. And Richard, I'm so glad you were here today to help unpack the Passover for us. Oh, it's a blessing for me to be here as well. Passover is one of my favorite feasts. Well, folks, there's much more to come in our series on the Feast of Israel. Join us again next episode as we explore the Feasts of Unleavened Bread and First Fruits. Until then, on behalf of all of us here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, look up and be watchful for our perfect and blameless Passover lamb is coming again soon. Christ in Prophecy is made possible through the faithful and generous support of viewers like you. Please consider making a donation to Lamb and Lion Ministries so that we can continue broadcasting the message of Jesus' soon return. Thank you and God bless you.